But we are in 1 Samuel 17. We are, for those who haven't come before, we're at the point of the David and Goliath story. And we're talking a bit about David's family. And as we began last week in 1 Samuel chapter 17, the Philistines were gathered for battle against the army of Israel. It was in the Valley of Elah. And the Valley of Elah, as we can see on the map, is about 20 miles west of Bethlehem. Now, it's interesting as we look at the map that the, uh, Jerusalem is about five miles north of Bethlehem. Bethlehem uh, is also where David is from. Goliath is from Gath. Gath is directly 20 miles west of Bethlehem, and they're meeting in the Valley of Elah, which is very close to Gath. Now, the history of this is interesting. As the Israelites came into the Promised Land, they were supposed to conquer all of it. Did they conquer all of it? No. Part that they didn't conquer is going to be the part that the Philistines live in. So the tribe of Judah was given all of this area, but they didn't conquer this part, the very western part, the part, the, the plains region. And the reason cited in the book of Judges in the first one or two chapters is that the people living in the plains had iron chariots. They had implements, these war weapons that were scary to the people of Israel. Those who are students of the Bible will make a note that there are instances where God specifically defeats armies with iron chariots. This is, this is not unheard of. But we have to ask ourselves the question, why were the people of Judah unable to conquer the Philistines? Also, the people of Dan, we mentioned, were unable to conquer the Philistines living in this area. Was there a spiritual problem? Did, did they just get tired of war and decided to sort of live amongst them? Which is what the book of Judges seems to imply. Everyone just got tired of fighting. Probably it won't do any harm. We're just going to leave these people alone. They seem peaceful enough. Well, a generation or two later, they are at war now, trying to take over more and more of this land. So here we have the story of David and Goliath. We began talking about Goliath having this very impressive stature. The original says he was about nine feet, nine inches tall. The Dead Sea Scrolls, which were a later edition, said about six feet six. Nine feet would be taller than the room. The room was about eight feet tall, just giving you some idea of how big this man was. Given the fact he was wearing a coat of mail, which is either like a fish scale armor or it's uh, interlocking metal pieces like a, a chain interlocking, 
that suit he was wearing weighed 125 pounds. It's probably more reasonable that he was the taller versus the shorter version that we have in the scriptures. Also, he had a spear that weighed 15 pounds. And to, to handle something like that, you have to be a very large individual. David is sent by his father to go take some supplies to his brothers, his three older brothers who are in battle. And that's sort of the joke that the narrator of the scripture is implying. It says in verse 11 of 1 Samuel 17, and I'm reading from the ESV, Goliath comes out, and all of Israel were dismayed and greatly afraid. The scene now shifts to David, who's back home in Bethlehem, taking care of his sheep. And his father tells him to take some cheese, some bread, and some parched grain, or some grain to his brothers. David loads up his backpack and starts to travel, but before he does, it appears that his father says, see if your brothers are well, I'm in verse 18, bring some token of them. And then it says in verse 19, Saul and all the men of Israel are in the valley of Elah fighting with the Philistines. It's a bit of a narrator joke. They're not fighting at all. In fact, it, when it switches back to Goliath, he comes up and everything he says, it just makes the men more and more fearful. David comes to the scene, leaves his bread and cheese with the handler of the baggage, and he runs to see the battle. Well, there actually is no battle. There's just one guy and his armor bearer standing between these lines of soldiers, and he's defying the army of Israel for someone to come and fight with him. It gives a very impressive description of Goliath, all of his armor, his helmet of bronze, his 125-pound coat of mail, his 15-pound spearhead, plus he has a javelin slung between his shoulders, He's a walking tank. He has bronze on his legs. Basically, there's no way to get to this guy. He's also a giant. And if we have time, we're going to talk about some other giants in Scripture. This is not the only giant. Verse 24, it shifts now from Goliath describing him to David describing him coming with his cheese and bread, coming up to his brothers in battle. Now we're back to Goliath. David is just in time to hear the giant defy the armies of Israel. Somebody needs to come and fight me. Aren't you servants of Saul? Now what do we know about Saul regarding his stature? He's head and shoulders above anyone else in Israel. So basically this giant probably... And everyone else is hoping Saul is going to go out and fight with him. He's the only one that's even close to his height or ha has a chance. Saul also is likely the only one in Israel who has armor. He's going to try to give it to David. David doesn't 
want it or actually can't use it. It's made for someone who's much bigger than he is. Verse 24, all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were much afraid. And we started talking about David hears that there is a bounty. There's something that's going to be given to the man who kills this giant. What are the three things? Riches. The wife, which is the king's daughter. And no taxes in Israel which is going to go over very well with his father. Now, speaking of David's father, David was one of how many children? He's one of eight sons, actually had two sisters, so it's a fairly, fairly large family. And we'll, we'll talk a bit more about his family in a moment. Because when David starts asking questions about what was, what was going to be given to the, the man who kills the giant, all of a sudden, somebody gets angry. Who is that? His older brother, Eliab, gets angry. Why is he angry? He's probably jealous. He probably senses that this David is onto something. And I want to start off a little bit today talking about about jealousy. First of all, the one point I want to make again is that Eliab says very harsh words to David. He says, with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? Basically, he's putting him down. He's, he's devaluing him. He's saying, you, you basically can only watch a very few sheep. You're not even capable of, of, of a larger flock of sheep. And then he says, I know your presumption and the evil of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. This is in verse 28. Another bit of a joke by the narrator, was there a battle? There was no battle. They have been standing there for how long at this point? 40 days. 40 days. Goliath's been coming out, and they've been at the battle. Go down and watch your brothers. They're, he's, they're fighting with the Philistines. Eliab says you've come to watch the battle. It's a bit of a narrator joke. Everyone is so scared, there's, there's no battle. I want to pause for a moment and talk about, about jealousy. So jealousy or envy actually very dangerous. The scripture is very clear about jealousy and envy, and it often happens in families. I find that jealousy and envy has to do primarily with identity. Now, before we get too judgmental of David's older brother, I will say that we all struggle with jealousy and envy, that it is rampant through our culture. In fact, the advertising industry is basically based, founded on creating jealousy and envy in you so that you do what? You buy their products. 
Look at the new car your neighbor has. Look at this. Look at that. Look at uh, <clears throat> the new iPhone. Don't you want one of those? So-and-so has one. Creating envy motivates us. It actually stimulates dopamine, which is a motivational brain neurotransmitter. It's a chemical in the brain. But it's also evil. It also gives this anger and it develops something called resentment. And it's pretty clear that Eliab, David's older brother, had no appreciation whatsoever for David. But let's think about that. Why was Eliab, or let's, let's put yourself in the situation of Eliab. He was the older brother. There's 10 children, so Eliab is probably at least eight years older than David. He's one of eight sons, so he's eight, ten years older than David. So if David here is 15, 17, Eliab is 27, and he's the oldest. Why would you be irritated? Why would you be angry? Why would just seeing David show up and start asking these questions would sort of get under your skin? Let's try to understand, before we judge too harshly, Let's take, use the scriptures to get a good look at ourselves. Let's, let's have some compassion. I think one of the ways that we want to help ourselves to forgive the people who also are jealous and envious of us, which is very destructive, there's two types of envy. The people you envy and the people who envy you. Both are very destructive to your personal life, your walk with God, it's, it's a very destructive focus. Essentially, envy says, God, you have given me the garbage. You've given him the good stuff. And God really dislikes envy because essentially it wipes away anything he's done for you. All you're focused on is that man or that woman and all that they have. This is a problem in church. I can't. You're looking at the person in front of you, and we are naturally judgmental. Look at that beautiful head of hair, you might say. I got, I got the thinning hair. That guy's got the good hair. That woman's got the nice hair. They've got the nice handbag. This is... <laughs> Wherever we are, we're sort of envy machines. We just produce it. It's, it's a natural thought that will come in your mind, and it may not even be your thought. So the, the comment is, for envy they killed Jesus. Envy is exactly the reason they killed Jesus. Thank you for that. Envy is very, very destructive. The Jews of the time, the administration, had a lot of power, and they had the Romans sort of where they wanted them. They controlled their Israeli state, and Jesus was shaking all that up, politically, economically. He was creating quite a stir. People were flocking to him, and they weren't flocking anymore to them. So it was out of envy, the scripture states clearly, that they, they killed him. So back to the brother of Jesus, uh, the brother of David, Eliab, his older brother, actually the brothers of Jesus, were also a bit envious. They were not big fans of Jesus. 
Yeah, they said go to um, go to Jerusalem and show yourself. You know, and you're you're hiding basically. They they had a similar type of talk, putting him down. Anyone who's anyone would go to Jerusalem at this time. And Jesus basically said, "Well, you can go wherever you want, because you're not saying anything significant." I'm not going to go. Actually, he, he, he waited a few days, and then he did go to the feast. Another topic for another day. We can talk about why he delayed to go to the feast. So en envy is pervasive in our society. It fuels a lot of things. How did Eliab, David's older brother, interpret David being anointed by Samuel? Remember, we, we, Samuel doesn't seem to mention anything about David being a king. We all assume that he was anointing him to be the king, but that would have probably been an unwise thing for Samuel to say in the presence of anyone because this would have put a target on everyone's back that was in the room. So Eliab sees David getting anointed by Samuel. He's expecting probably to be anointed himself. The prophet has come to Jesse's sons. He's the biggest, tallest Samuel is even very impressed by how handsome he is, thinking, surely they're going to anoint me. Even Samuel probably has a big smile on his face, saying, wow, this is the man. And God speaks to Samuel again, hearing a very specific word of God. This is not the one I have chosen. I've rejected him. Okay, Eliab has to... Step aside, here comes the next brother, and the next brother, and all of them, they go through all the brothers, finally get to the youngest. The youngest is not there. The father's even saying, he's just, he's, he's just out keeping the sheep. This is probably not worth any of our time. Which shows us something of how his father treated him at the time. Because when we look at the the envy that Eliab has toward David, we're looking at a family dynamic. We're looking at probably a family culture. I would say it's probably not a culture of honor. It would be a culture of dishonor. And many of us have grown up in a family like that, where the language we use when our family gets together is not compliments. If it is a compliment, it's something sarcastic. Oh, new Lexus this year. Hmm. So we say something that last year's model wasn't good enough for you. We always have to say something to tear the other person down. This is our culture of dishonor. Many of us grew up in a culture like that. I believe that's the culture that David's family was in. Or the culture David was raised in, which is why when Eliab sees anyone sort of superseding him, he's unable to handle it. He's unable to honor that. Whatever beauty there was in David, Eliab is trying to snuff it out. He's trying to make sure nobody else sees it. I want to pause just for a moment, and I want you to think about the people or the person, if someone comes to mind, that you are jealous of, that you don't, you don't like to hear when they're promoted. You don't, somebody has snubbed you. Someone has done something that has triggered your 
NV. The reason I want to take time for this is because, first of all, it's so common. And if for some reason you can't find someone uh, that you envy, I want you to try to think of someone who envies you. Someone who has acted in a way that doesn't actually make sense. You haven't really done anything to them, but they just dislike you. I want to spend a few moments, maybe just a minute. If there is someone that you can recognize that you envy, it could be siblings, it could be someone in your family, someone you worked with. Sometimes parents actually envy children because it seems so easy for them, especially in families who have immigrated, that it's so easy now for people who have come to the U.S. to live and work versus someone who was in another country struggling under a dictatorship or whatever it was, communism. I want to give you a minute just because it's important to recognize these things in ourselves. And if you find that, I want you to repent of it. I want you to recognize it and renounce it and ask God how God sees that person. I want us to try to move around envy or through it and just get rid of it. Basically saying, God is a God of abundance. He's not a God of scarcity. Envy is a symptom that you believe God only has, an, has a certain amount and that person's getting more than their share, that, therefore you're going to get less. That's a lie. God has plenty. He's plenty for you. He has plenty for them. And he wants you to bless them, even if they decide to use their resources in a way that you do not approve. He's given a lot of people incredible abilities to sing, and many people use their voice to sing songs that do not honor the Lord. He does not take their gift away. People get to use their gift, and obviously there are rewards and there are negative aspects for not using your gifts in a certain way, in a way that would glorify God. So let's look at our own identities, perhaps how our family, how you were raised. If you were raised in a culture of dishonor, I want you to try to move beyond that today and look at somebody that you were jealous of maybe even years ago or recently and just bless them and say to God, God, you have enough for me and for them. You're a God of abundance. Let's just take one minute now. <laughs> 